And now, stay tuned for The Adventures of Unstructured Time. Good morning, Ron Hoster here on 21.6 The Net with The Adventures of Unstructured Time. Chuck Hinman, the host of the show, is with me. Good morning, Ron. Delighted to be here this morning. we got some fun things to talk about. 10,000 people a day are reaching age 65. They're coming to the point in their life that they're going to be making a significant transition into the next portion of their life that for most purposes they've not planned for. For instance, they've done financial planning of where their money's going to go. They've done estate planning to know where their money's going to go after they're not there. But no one's looked at that 20 years between the time that they, quote, officially retire and the time that they're handing the money off to the heirs. And the purpose of the show is to go through that. Yeah, it's one of the things that's fascinating about this show and what we're going to be covering is we help those people who have retired or getting ready to retire. They've got another journey left within them. They've got some adventures that they want to go on. And we're going to help them find their passion, pick their adventure, and then ignite their activity. And, uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun doing that. Well, one of the purposes of these first four shows is to lay the foundation of understanding of what people are going to be going through when they reach this point in time. You may have already reached it. You may be listening to where you're going to be reaching this in a short period of time. And hopefully, we're catching people in their 40s that will prepare for this time and be ready to turn the switch and go at that time. Now, at the end of each show, we're going to have a little exercise we'll leave you with for next week that will start the process of taking you one step closer to your adventure. Chuck, today's show is about chemical brain freeze. Tell me what that is. Well, it's interesting, and the reason that we decided to dedicate a whole show to chemical brain freeze is because we've talked about default behaviors in the first show or two, and... We've, we haven't quite gone down to the very basics on why these default behaviors keep us from reaching our, our dreams and our goals. And so today we're going to talk about how the brain works during difficulty and stress and how we get derailed from reaching our goals. Now let me, let me ask a question here for our listeners out there. Have you ever been so mad you couldn't think straight? Ron, have you ever been in that situation? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there was a point in time when we first bought the ranch and we started having the cattle roundups, we didn't know what to do. And I got our friends together. You were there, Chuck. Yeah. We knew where we wanted the cattle to go. The cattle didn't know where to go. And the harder we pushed without learning how to move cattle, the more frustrating it became. And we had animals turning on us. We had people jumping out of the way. We had one of our friends that was aggressive with a hot shot. <laughs> I was getting more and more and more frustrated at the process of not having the ability to reach the goal that we had of vaccinating and worming and air tagging the cattle. Well, as things were going wrong, my son was up by the squeeze chute, which is at the end of the line of where the cattle are supposed to be, and starts critiquing everything everyone's doing. Well, the stress of not being able to do what I could do, that the team members were getting frustrated because we were all, quote, failing at the point in time. When my son started up, that was the straw that broke 
the heifers back. And I just stood in the middle of the pens and just said, shut up. Just stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And I froze. I, I just went into a total meltdown over that situation for about two minutes. Is that what we're talking about? Exactly. Those, those times when we just we, we have this meltdown and we don't recognize what we're doing. I've got a similar experience. I was on the phone talking with the vendor. And I had just hung up, was so upset. It was the third time that he hadn't delivered properly. And I'm thinking, I need to get rid of this vendor. And I didn't realize how upset it was until I, I walked out. I was going to go feed the koi in the koi pond. And I got a scoop of dog food, and I walked out the back door, and I threw dog food into the, into the swimming pool. <laughs> and I was sitting there looking. I thought, what did I just do? Swimming <laughs> dog food in the swimming pool? That doesn't help any. That doesn't help the koi. That doesn't help the dog. And I realized I just had a chemical brain freeze with what I had done. You know, it's where you just don't think right. And so we think, well, maybe that only happens to adults. And on Saturday, I was watching my five-year-old grandson playing in his first soccer game. And, it, you know, it was so cute watching him as he go. And he's standing waiting for the ball to be thrown, thrown in. And he's standing in front. The ball comes up, and he reaches up and slaps the ball down. And I said, Rainer, you can't use your hands. You can't use your hands. And he got a little bit upset. And, and then maybe three minutes later, he's standing there again. They throw the ball, and he slaps it down a second time. Just automatic response. And they said, oh, Rainer, you can't. And he just started shutting down. I mean, he, sh he just walked off the field and shut down. And he didn't want to go back on the field because he had slapped the ball a second time. It was instinct. They, he actually stood out for about three to four minutes before he went back in the game just because he had minimized it completely. You know, and, and I've watched situations where uh, stressful situations with travelers and watched some people checking in. There wasn't any room in the hotel left because it was snowing in Toronto. And we had our, our corporate travel agency said, hey, the airport's shutting down. We can get you a, a hotel room here. We'll get you booked out first thing in the morning. I said, fine. So we show up at the hotel and this couple's just arguing with the desk clerks and so forth. And they go marching out of the hotel, jump into a cab and take off. And I turned to my traveling partner and, and I said, hey, they're going to be back. He says, how do you know that? I said, their luggage is right there. And sure enough, about five minutes later, they came back to pick up their luggage. But they'd had a meltdown. I mean, just a chemical brain freeze where they just couldn't think straight. And so I share the example of a grandson with older people. And our brains are wired the same. As a matter of fact, as adults, we're just kids with longer legs. But our brain works the same. What you're saying is that when we get put into positions of difficulty, stress, unknown territories, that it has an effect on us and our ability to reason. And it, it takes a toll that we get stressful, our body shuts down to protect itself, and, is, and that the source of the stress doesn't matter. In fact, one of the largest stresses that a person's going to face is when they transition from a job they may have been, in, have been in for 14, 15, or 30 years to a, a new environment where they basically leave behind everything that they've been associated with and identified with. Correct. Exactly. You know, it, it's interesting, and, and I, I share this story a little bit because it's, it, it's just a great example, but I was a keynote speaker for the Texas Association of uh, Hostage Negotiators for... Uh, Texas police and FBI, and we're talking about chemical brain freeze with them. And I wasn't specifically talking to 
the good guy on the phone talking to the bad guy, which you see on the movies. You know, there's always a good guy talking to the bad guy. But what they don't show you in the movies, there's a whole team involved when the hostage negotiators are, are dealing in. And so they've got a team. The, the person on the phone is, is walled off. His focus is on the bad guy. But then you've got the rest of the hostage team that's dealing with the mayor's office. They're dealing with the, the city <laughs> manager. They're dealing with the tactile commander. Those are the ones who are stressed and that have to stay in the game during this. And the city manager said, hey, you've got these two blocks of the, the busiest portion of the city you know, blocked off. We need to get that opened up. You know, the tactile commander, we're going in now. And so, <laughs> and so these guys are stressed out big time. And so when you think, well, that's really stressful on one end, but it, sometimes it's the support roles where you really get stressed out and do it. And what's fascinating is sometimes, you know, guess who the last person in a room is to recognize that a chemical brain freeze has taken place? The person having it. The person having the chemical brain freeze. And so it, it's interesting as we start to look at, at, at some of these things, we're going to go down into a little bit of depth talking about how the body works. And what happens when we get into these stressful situations? Well, one of the things that most people think about planning for retirement are the financial issues. Correct. One, tell me some of the items that they're going to be dealing with that are not financial that may have even a, as equal or greater impact on their successful transition to this period of time. Well, there's a whole host of things we can talk about, but I think two of the, the, the critical things that they're going to deal with is one managing relationships and here's here's a title from just a couple of articles that have that have come out is one can your marriage su survive retirement and the second one millions of couples find it impossible to live with each other during retirement and you can scan daily find it because all of a sudden you've got folks who for the first time they're living together 24 7 and they realize they may have drifted a little bit during during that last you know 30 years and now they're together constantly how do they work through that and so that's something to, to work on but also think about dealing with family you know now you're in a different situation you have some different time to spend with family how is how does that adjust and make things happen who are your peers now you're gonna have a whole different set of peers you know volunteering or if you're starting up businesses who are you dealing with and, and Ron you know that moving into a you know, new state, new city, and, and, and getting adjusted after retirement. Relationships were a big thing that you had to get acclimated to. What's funny is I had a friend that, that went through retirement. He was at the same company for 32 years, but he was a member of a church and had some friends there. Well, they set up the Romeo Group, Retired Old Men Eating Out. <laughs> <laughs> and they tried to transition from that standpoint. One of the aspects that I find the most helpful when we were planning to move from California to someplace else in the, in the country is we bought the property that we were going to move to five years prior to our going ahead and moving. We established a banking relationship. We established a church family. We established ourselves in the community. We knew where the dry cleaners were. We knew uh, the neighbors. It wasn't a, a toggle switch event. It was a transitioning event, which changed that move from a crisis to a process. Because of that, I think we avoided a lot of the chemical brain freeze that we would have had had we just unpacked our truck like uh, the Beverly Hillbillies did <laughs> and came into a new environment unprepared for that environment. 
Exactly. And one of the things that I think you did with the way that you just described that, what you went through, is you took away the fear of the unknown, which is very key. And that's the second key thing that we're, we're going to be talking about is managing change. Because with any change, there is the fear of the unknown. But as you see, you know, most people, most baby boomers are probably looking at downsizing. They're looking at, you know, moving to a new location. I read a thing that like 45% of baby boomers are relocating to, to new and different places. You know, and again, like we talked about, you've got two people at home for the first time, you know, 24-7. You know, how do you manage to do that? And are your interests, dreams, and goals? When was the last time you touched base on those? And make sure that this next journey that you've got in front of you, are you in a line together? And you don't have to go on every adventure together, you know, but you want to make sure that the adventures that you're on help you lead to that journey that you want to go because it's your, your second act. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure it's a good act that you go through with. Well, you talked about now coming home and your relationship with a spouse. A woman leaves a job and now she's home all the time. Her husband's home all the time. One of the biggest struggles is dealing with the loss of the items that kind of kept you together during the period of time when your kids were growing up. When you look at most of your friends when your kids were young, they were friends and parents of your kids' friends. The soccer teams together. You had a whole host of things that that gave you an activity. At the same time you're going through this transition of your life, many times you're going through an empty nest syndrome situation. And that when you lose all bases of commonality, unless you have planned what you're going to do, that becomes a very stressful point in time. Exactly. And, And I think that's one of the things that financial planners have such a difficult time with. Because people schedule appointment, they come in, they said, we want to plan for retirement. And the financial planner will say, well, what would you like to do in retirement? And the couples look at each other and going, well, maybe play a little golf and, you know, maybe do a little travel. And, uh, you know, they look at each other and they actually haven't thought that portion out yet. And so that makes it very difficult for financial planners to figure out how do we invest where you can achieve those goals that you want for your next journey. One of the things you've talked a lot about, Chuck, is emotional intelligence. What is that? <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, emotional intelligence is, is, is really, it's, it's, it's an understanding, the ability to effectively perceive, manage, and use one's own emotions, which is understanding how that affects your behavior. And, that, and, and think about having a $20 bill. That's one side of a $20 bill. But if that's all you do is just understand how to you know, perceive and manage and use your own emotions during difficult situations, that dollar bill is pretty useless if it's blank on the back side. The key is, is the ability to effectively manage emotional connections with those around us where actually you've got a two-sided double, val- double dollar bill that's got some values to it. And so it's understanding how we behave and, and manage our emotions and then how others behave when we make that connection with them. And that's what ties it all together. So how does that affect the processes of your intentions? We all have good intentions of doing things. Right. But sometimes our intentions don't have the consequences that we had hoped of. Or they have unintended consequences. How, how does that fit into this equation of understanding your emotional intelligence and how that transitions into that next uh, subject. Well, what, what's interesting about that is, you know, one of the very first principles in dealing with emotional intelligence is that we judge ourselves based on our own, own intentions. And typically, we all have pretty good intentions. 
you know, very seldom do you see someone get up and say, oh, I'm just going to make it a poopy day and I'm going to go see how many lives I can just, you know, disrupt and interrupt. There, there's a few out there, but, you know, but most people have pretty, pretty good intentions on what they want to do. However, other people judge us based on the impact that we have on them, whether it's positive or negative. And it all depends on our behaviors, the type of impact that we have on people. And so if our intentions, if our behavior lines up with our intentions, we can have a positive impact. If they don't line up, we can have a negative impact. And let me, let me give you a couple of simple examples. If, if I'm going to take my grandson, if I, if I tell him we're going to go to McDonald's for a Happy Meal, then afterwards we're going to play in the playground for a while. I mean, he's all excited, you know, and, uh, and Grandpa's feeling good. We've got great intentions. And, we're, and then, you know, I take a call, take another call, and all of a sudden the afternoon gets away and, and we don't go to McDonald's. Well, my intentions were good, but yet the impact that I left on him that he didn't get to go to McDonald's and get his Happy Meal and play in the playground, what kind of impact does that have on him? And it was all based on my emotions and my behavior that didn't allow us to go do that. And so it has a negative impact. And, and I'll share, and so that's, and then. So it went from happy meal to unhappy squeal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so remember earlier I talked about, you know, using kids as an example, that as adults we're just kids with longer legs. Well, I had coffee with a, a friend of mine last week and he had left uh, his job and was going to go start a, a new career and wanted to um, start up his own business. And I said, so how's your wife handling this? Well, she, she understands, I think. And I said, you think? <laughs> said, well, she kind of thinks I'm going to update my resume and have three or four interviews and get another job and everything will be good. And I said, you realize that's not what going to happen with what you're looking at doing because he wanted to be a speaker and a coach and and he said well I think it's going to take a little longer than that and I said her you know your intentions are good and but the impact that you're going to have on her because your behavior is not going to be filling out a resume and go interviewing two or three times and landing a job you're going to have a negative impact on her you're going to have to go have a very very serious conversation with her on what you're doing and what you're trying to do and showing her how you're mapping out where this new career is going to take you. And he just, he stopped our conversation and started writing notes. He said, you know, that's been keeping me awake at night. <laughs> I said, it keep me awake at night also. And he started writing things down. He said, yeah, I think that's the first thing I need to do is make sure she understands what we're going through because I'm not going back to another regular paying job. We had the same situation starting with 21.6 on that. The three of us got together, decided what we wanted to do. The wives thought we were just going to be having fun and having a party. We knew what we wanted to do. We knew the progress we would go through. But our wives were thinking, okay, we're just going to waste another few months and a few thousand dollars and it's going to all be over with. It wasn't until they heard the progression of the shows and they heard uh, Kent doing the voiceovers and putting the music together. And they said, wow, we had no idea that this is what you guys were going to be doing. So it, the intent versus the impact, the impact of our decision to go ahead was a negative impact on each one of our spouses until they came to the understanding of what we were looking to do. 
Is, is that what you're talking about? Exactly, with exactly. Making sure that they understand, you know, your behaviors because what you were doing was going to, you know, above and beyond what they were anticipating. And so you had good intentions that just hadn't, you hadn't laid it out for them the extent of where you were going to take this new new business. So in starting a business, you started a, a business recently that didn't have to do, well, it, this is the outgrowth of that. Right. And you get in, you get partners in, mm. and you get people together that have different perspectives. Tell us some of your experience on that. Well, a, a, a lot of times people, you know, said, oh, I'd like to come, you know, help you with your business and so forth. How much are you going to pay me? <laughs> and it's like, well, we're starting from the ground floor. We, we don't, we don't have salaries at this point in the game. We got to make some money first, you know. And those are some of the basic things that you deal with with people's expectations. Well, if you if you pay me really well, I'll go make money for you. And sometimes it's not quite that easy. It's, you have <laughs> to start off doing some additional things. So, the intentions, the impact is different. The people who are being impacted differently, then have a sort of chemical brain freeze well, because the experience is not what their expectations were. Or, Chuck, or if, if your behavior doesn't line up with your intent. Right, if your behavior right. doesn't. I'm really intrigued by this chemical brain freeze. Tell me, tell me some examples about that, of, of understanding the whole realm of the chemical brain freeze. Well, it's, you know, and it's, it's interesting, be, before we leave intent versus impact, one of the things when we look at behavior that people typically don't understand is that it's our emotions that drive our behavior. And, and people think, well, I, I thought that through. Emotions don't have anything to do with it. Well, guess what? Emotions do. You know, look at a small child and watch how they behave. You can I mean, you can be watching through a window, kids playing on a playground. You can tell when they're angry. You can tell when they're happy. You can tell when they're afraid. Watch when you give a, a, a young child a piece of chalk and put them on a sidewalk and watch them sit there and color a sidewalk for hours on end. I mean, you can tell that they're happy and complacent and, and just having a great time. And, and again, as adults, we're just kids with longer legs. You can watch in a meeting room, once you start to understand this, you can tell who in that meeting room is not happy. You know, they've got their arms folded or they're leaning back or they're, they're sulking. And you can tell, you know, when the meeting's going in the right direction, you know, they're happy to, I mean, watch Congress. Watch the Senate when they get together. <laughs> you can tell who's happy and who's not happy very, very quickly. And so, you know, emotions drive behavior. And so understanding chemical brain freeze is understanding what our emotions do during a normal state of mind. But then when we start getting under stress and in difficult situations, what starts to happen? Well, the first time I learned that emotions impacted behavior was I, when I was mad and the softball I was holding went through the window of the sliding garage door. <laughs> Exactly. There was a direct correlation between my emotional state at that time and the path of that softball. And, and sometimes people don't even remember that they did it, you know, that they, they went through that action. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But I want to take you back. We, we touched on it a little bit briefly in the second show, but I want to go back again and, and talk about, you know, the, the, the hot summer days. We just got finished with the hot summer in Texas. And, but remember as a kid on those hot summer days when, Oh man, you'd save up your money, and you know you'd you'd go down to a, a 7-Eleven or a Circle K or a Dairy Queen, and 
and you'd get yourself a, a Slurpee or an Icy or an ice cream cone, and man, you'd just start eating that thing like crazy, and, and all of a sudden, you'd stop dead in your tracks. You had this pain right in the middle of your forehead that hurt <laughs> so bad, you couldn't do anything. I mean, it just immobilized you. And for 20 seconds, the only thing you concentrated was this pain right in the middle of your forehead. And we call that a slurpy brain freeze. And, it, and it's caused by temperature. I mean, just the temperature of the roof of your mouth getting so cold, it constricts your uh, blood vessels. And when they start to warm up, going right in between your eyes, start to warm up, that's where it starts to expand. And it's painful. I mean, it is one of the most painful things you can have. And as adults, we, we wind up going through that same pain when we're drinking, you know, swirl margaritas and some of the icy drinks. We get drinking those too fast. But hopefully as, as an adults and, and grandparents, we, we learn not to swear in front of the kids and the grandkids. But, but what you're alluding to now is the same thing that happens with a slurpy brain freeze happens to us emotionally when we get into a high stress, high change, high level of uncertainty situation exactly i mean it, you're just as incapacitated as you are with the slurpy brain freeze you know and that's called a, a chemical reaction and and just briefly i'm going to talk about um it, you go your brain goes into the survival mode that you have and the survival mode you've probably heard about you know the the flight fight or freeze syndrome that we have and it's understanding how we get there because it, it shuts down completely our thinking brain. You know, at, at a couple of examples, you go to, you go to check your messages and, and you go, uh, this is the IRS, uh, Charles Inman, would you please contact us? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just start, it's like you're having a brain freeze. The number you've reached is no longer in service and there is no new number. Exactly. Or you get home and you get, a, you get a text message and it's like, did you pick up your grandchild from daycare? Whoops. <laughs> and again, it's like, you know, where, you know, what's going on here? Or you can't find your wallet. You're running late for a meeting. You can't find your wallet. You can't find your car keys. And you start to just, you know, having a chemical brain freeze type thing. Even watch, watch simple things, you know, just driving in traffic. Someone cuts you off. What do you start doing? I mean, it's, you, it's, it's amazing to watch what people do when just driving in traffic with simple little things happening and so forth and those are just as debilitating as a slurpy brain freeze but instead of lasting for 20 seconds like a, a slurpy brain freeze will if you have a chemical brain freeze it can last for up to 20 minutes wow well that brings us to the concept of brain circuitry how is our brain wired that put us into a chemical brain freeze yeah well it's uh it's, it's interesting there's three parts of the brain that we're going to talk about. We're going to keep it pretty basic on this. But the first part is the brain stem, and that's responsible for some of our basic functions that we don't even have to think about, you know, like our heart beating, our, our lungs breathing, uh, our body temperature being controlled. Uh, you know, we blink, and we don't even think about blinking. It's like we, when we go to bed at night, we can go to sleep, and our eyes stay closed all night, our breathing, and, and you know, we keep breathing, our heart keeps pumping, our body temperature fluctuates for all of that. That's the primitive part of the brain, and it keeps us alive. There's another part of the brain called the amygdala, and it was discovered when the ancient Greeks were doing anatomy and physiology on the human body, and they discovered this part of the brain that looked about the size of an almond. And they said, hey, let's give this the name, of the Greek name of almond, which is amygdala. 
Now, not very creative, but it gives a whole new definition of the, of the meaning going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but, but it's your warning system. I mean, it's on board 24 hours a day. It's going beep, 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 looking for anything out of the ordinary. You know, it, it's like they say, you know, if to smile, it, it takes, you know, like 240 nerves and, and, and muscles and, and around your eyes and everything else to have a genuine smile. And so that's why if, if you go to a used car dealership and the car salesman comes walking out to greet you and your amygdala is going, warning, warning, there's something wrong with that smile. It's not genuine. It's because they're smiling with their lips, but they're not smiling uh, with their eyes. And it's saying, be careful, be careful. <laughs> and so your amygdala, think about that nosy neighbor. That's kind of like your amygdala. It's lifting up the blinds, looking out and saying, what's that car doing out there? Where's that loud music coming from? What are those kids doing? It's looking for anything out of the ordinary trying to protect you. And here's an interesting thing. You know, we're, we're only born with two fears. Ron, you know what those two fears might be? Well, you've told me. It would be an unfair question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for our audience, right now, write down what the two fears that everyone has in life. The two fears that, that we are born with are the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Every other fear we have is a learned fear. Wow. And so we're going to dwell in just a little bit more on understanding how the amygdala works. So we're going to learn why those learned fears are just as vivid as the fears that we're born with. And then the last part of the brain that we're going to deal with is the very front part of the brain, the, more, uh, the newer part of the brain, the creative part of the brain called the neocortex. And the neocortex is responsible for taking meaningful data, turning it in for, into information where... Uh, Concepts like love and, and time and space are included in the thinking part of the brain, which is the neocortex. So here's what's interesting. Over the last hundred years or so, researchers thought that it was the thinking part of the brain, the neocortex, that responded to stimuli first. And it wasn't until about 1995 with some MRI or magnetic resonance imaging research that they discovered that it was the amygdala that responded first to stimuli. As a matter of fact, it responded 100 times faster than the neocortex. So you have to ask yourself, why would the amygdala, this alarm system, why would that respond to stimuli quicker than the thinking part of the brain? Well, here's an interesting way to think about it. Say, say you're in the jungle and, and you and your buddy Thag are, are you know, getting ready to walk down and, and grab some water and you look out and you see this beautiful meadow and, and you think, Thag, look at that. Look at how beautiful that meadow is. Why aren't we out here living in the meadow instead of back up in the trees? And, and about that time, you, you hear the, the sound and you look over and the, the leaves are rustling and going, oh my gosh, leaves rustling, you know, and there's a, there's a tiger. And you turn around and you race back to the safety of the trees. Well, you know, Thag didn't quite make it. But you make it back to the safety <laughs> of the trees. And you're sitting there and you're waiting and waiting and Thag doesn't come back. And like, son of a gun, we lost another one. But then the next morning, you go back down to get water again. And you're standing there looking, going, man, this is so pretty out here. You know, just this view's fantastic. And all of a sudden, you hear the leaves rustle again. You don't even bother this time. Your amygdala kicks in, leaves rustling, danger, run. And you run as fast as your little legs can carry you back to the top of the trees again. Now, what's fascinating, the second time that happened, it was only the wind. There was no tiger. 
But your amygdala didn't pick that up. It picked leaves rustle, danger. That was the first imprint that went in it when there was a tiger in the leaves. Second time, leaves rustle, the wind. And we'd run back to the safety of the trees. Ron, how often in life do you perceive a danger and you're not really sure if it's a tiger or the leaves rustling in the wind? Oh, most of the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, that that happens in the, in the corporate world, going to the Social Security office to get your benefits. <laughs> well, w- give us some examples of, of how people do that in everyday life. Well, it's, you know, people can walk into a meeting and you can watch their response walking into a meeting where they feel threatened just by who's sitting in the meeting. Um, you know, questions can, can be asked. You know, why is this late? It's like, whoa, you know, there's danger, danger, warning, something's going on, perceived or not. And, and here's, the, here's the, the, the key to how the amygdala responds. You see, your amygdala cannot differentiate between perception and reality. And I'm going to repeat that because it's worth repeating and worth understanding. Your amygdala cannot differentiate between perception and reality. And that's why when you go to the movies, if you go and watch a Rocky, you know, boxing movie, you watch the whole audience. They're ducking and weaving and bobbing. Or if it's, you know, Indiana Jones, you know, they're dodging arrows and rolling boulders and so forth. Or if it's, you know, beaches or notebook, everybody's carrying, you know, Kleenex boxes in because your amygdala can't differentiate. It's involved. It's taking and absorbing everything as it's uh, picking up all this data and information. It's also why you can take and read a book and all of a sudden you escape. You're there with that hero or heroine and uh, and the villains. And I mean, you're there. That's why it's such a ex- great escape for you because you're actually, you know, your amygdala takes you there where you're in, in that environment with them. And, and people don't realize it, but that's also where you can misperceive threats, uh, where there may not even be a threatening situation, but your amygdala's going, warning, warning. And that can become part of that default behavior we talk about. We respond to that, just the way people look at us. You know, if we walk into a restaurant and the hostess doesn't look up at, at us in you know, three to five seconds, you go, we're being snubbed. You know, something's happening. And so those are some of the, the issues that we have. And, and one of the things that's interesting, you know, the holidays are coming up in a couple of months. I mean, it's 2018 is just flying. But if you'll watch at holiday parties, they can be family parties, corporate parties, what have you. Um, a person will walk into the room. Someone else will say, oh, I can't believe they're here. And that other person will stand up and actually walk out of the room because someone else walks into the room. And the amygdala is going, warning, warning, danger, danger. <laughs> And, and so you'll find yourself just standing up and walking out of a room because there's there's something engaging happening. And so uh, th- those are things that you have to be careful of. You know, people will ask, you know, I've, I've seen in the corporate world will say, well, you know, we were doing well until customer service got involved. Warning, warning. You know, if you're the customer <laughs> service you know, supervisor, like warning, warning, they're getting ready to jump down your throat with something that your department did wrong. And people get their dander off. And what's interesting, a chemical brain freeze can happen within seconds, you know, and, and we'll talk about what happens when that takes place. But you can literally watch people's, you know, faces get red, watch, you know, the, their necks get red and it's go up and their ears get red. It's, it's fascinating to watch how quickly that takes place. That reminds me of my grandfather saying, 
says, I don't eat green beans because I might like them and I hate the darn things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he has a perception that he is not going to enjoy it. Right. And he isn't going to go there. Right. <laughs> well, you talked about some of the things that happens when chemical brain freeze takes place. How can I sit here going into a chemical brain freeze, recognize it early on and diffuse the situation? Well, I think one of the, the best ways to take a look at it is to actually understand what the body goes through. And again, our body goes in within seconds. Our, our amygdala is responding to stimuli. You know, within a, hundreds of a second thinking, you know, warning, danger, danger, go into survival mode. And so here's what happens to your body when this starts to take place. The first thing is your heart rate starts beating faster. Okay, because you've got to pump blood into your major muscle groups, into your arms, into your legs, because you're either going to fight or you're going to run away or flee. And so you get your heart rate beating faster. Your breathing gets shallow because you've got to get that oxygen to the blood going to those major muscle groups. So it's getting shallower and shallower. And guess what? As it gets shallower, your mouth gets dry where you start stumbling over your words and so forth because there's no saliva there because you're breathing shallow and the air is drying out your mouth and you can't talk the way you want to talk. Also, your temperature rises because uh, it kicks it up a couple of degrees to warm up the muscle groups for either fighting or fleeing. But that's when you hear the expression, people getting hot under the collar. They actually do get hot under the collar, uh, several degrees. And you'll see, you'll see gentlemen, you know, pull their collars out from their <laughs> neck, you know, trying to let some of that hot out. It's because their body temperature is actually rising. And that's where, because the blood's pumping, the temperature's going up, you'll see the back of people's necks get red. You'll see their ears turn red or their face turn red. And it, it happens within seconds, which is just amazing. And then your reflexes. You know, when, when you're down there and, and you turn and see a tiger, your reflexes are focused. You're looking for a rock or stick that you can, you know, protect yourself with from a tiger. Or you're looking at like, okay, no rock or stick. I'm running back to the safety of the tree. And, and that happens so fastly. But then what's interesting is all this starts to happen. Your amygdala is notifying the rest of your brain and it starts releasing chemicals into your body. Ad adrenaline to get your heart beating faster. Uh, coagulants to keep your uh, keep from bleeding out if you get scratched and, and so forth. And your, your, your capillaries move away from the skin. It's like where, why people turn white because the capillaries are actually moving away from the wow. skin. But also it releases cortisol. And cortisol, when it hits the neocortex, it starts dropping your thinking process, your cognitive thinking process. And, you know, Rod, I've, I've been around you. I noticed that you, you are very talented. You could do several things at a time. You can be having a conversation, working on uh, the radio switchboard. You can be, you know, typing on your computer and, and humming a song. I mean, those, those take some cognitive thoughts to do that. And that's why we can hold up to basically four to seven cognitive thoughts at any one time. That's why we can, we can drive, we can listen to the radio, you know, turn on our blinker, we can be talking to somebody in the back seat, you know, doing all <laughs> those things. But if you take a look at, if you had four colored pens in your hand, and th each one of those was a cognitive thought, you could arrange those in, in different, you could have red, yellow, blue, green, and then you could go, you know, yellow, green, blue, red, you could change those up. I mean, we could count up the number of times that we do that, but there's a mathematical formula that tells us how many cognitive thoughts we can have at any one time, and that's called the 
factorial. It's a mathematical formula, factorial. So if you have four cognitive thoughts, and we're going to use that because it's pretty easy to deal with in the morning, four cognitive thoughts, four times three times two times one, which means you can hold 24 cognitive thoughts at any one time uh, in your waking hours. When you have a chemical brain freeze, when cortisol hits your neocortex, and depending on the extent of the chemical brain freeze, but even a slight chemical brain freeze, like when someone says, Ron, why'd you do that? And you drop a marker. If you drop one marker, I always ask people, so how much of your cognitive thought did you just lose? They'll say, well, 25%. But you go back to the mathematical formula, four times three times two times one or 24, now it's three times two times one or six. You've lost over 75% of your cognitive thought process in just seconds. And that's why, you know, someone asks you that question, you're going, uh-oh, uh-oh, what just happened? You drop a second marker, and now you've lost 90% of your cognitive thought process. Actually, you've got two markers left. Now you're binary. It's right or wrong, yes or no, flee or fight. And that's why when you get in an argument with somebody and you start arguing and they're sticking on yes or they're sticking on no and they don't change, that argument will continue that same way for 20 minutes unless they do something about it because they've dropped all their markers. <laughs> you know, I have that happen at home. Yeah. I've arranged to go to a meeting. I'm supposed to be there at 2.30 in the afternoon. It takes 15 minutes to get there. And at 2.14... I'm looking for my keys. Yeah. And then I find my keys and I run, I jump in a car and I'm out toward the gate of the driveway. And I oh my, the briefcase is on my desk. <laughs> and I drive back. And and I go to a binary effect. Instead of having a checklist that says, okay, all of this stuff needed to be ready to get into the car. And on, on a non-stressful situation, I would have just walked through the house and picked those up. But the closer I got to missing my deadline, right, the more I focused on one item at a time. Is th is that what we're talking and about? And that's where your amygdala is going. Warning, warning! You're going to be late. You know, warning. And you you know you grab one thing and run out. And say, oh shoot! I forgot the other thing, and I forgot the. Uh, and exactly, that's yeah. how quickly it happens. And and go now going into a, a big transition in life, we go through the same thing. Right. That transition might be going on vacation. Mm -hmm. It might be leaving a career. It might be going to a new situation in a new city. We start to binarily focus on things instead of having to handle it all together, which then creates more stress. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and one of the interesting things, like I said earlier, if you don't do anything about it, that chemical brain freeze can last for 20 minutes. And like you were saying, that's why, you know, when you can't find your car keys and then you hop in the truck and you get ready to take off and you realize you don't have your wallet and you forgot the notebook that you're supposed to, and it's like it just keeps getting worse and worse. And so until you do something about it, it's like, it's, you know, it, when I was in sales early on in my career, when you started having a bad day, we used to always joke that sometimes when you're having a really bad day, you know, it, it's better to go home and save a couple of customers because <laughs> your day just kept getting worse <laughs> and worse. What are the causes of chemical brain freeze? What, well, what causes you to get into them? There's about five major causes of chemical brain freeze, my, five major categories that, that we have. And, and first, like we were talking about with the tiger in the jungle, you know, that's, that's raw danger. 
where the amygdala is going, wait a second, we've got a big problem here. There's, there's a tiger, it's a man-eating tiger. We're in trouble. And, uh, and, you know, and, you know, think about living on the ranch. You encounter raw dangers on a, on a daily basis. On a daily basis. <laughs> I bought my wife this 24-inch load skillet. It's iron. It weighs about 18 pounds. That's a raw danger. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all seriousness aside, <laughs> uh, we have poisonous snakes. Mm -hmm. If I'm out working on fences, and there's generally brush or taller grass along the fence line, somehow my body knows that I'm encountering a, a dangerous situation. I have found copperheads, uh, water moccasin, both poisonous snakes. And I don't know why, but my body sensed it right at that point in time. The first, <laughs> the first thought is, oh my gosh, and you freeze. And then you, you back off, you say, okay, how am I going to deal with this situation? Wild hogs, those things are nasty. You get a boar hog with tusks, and those tusks are like Gillette razor blades. I've seen pictures of people that have been just ripped apart right. by a pig that, slices, that swings its head faster than a vegematic. Right. Uh, in the arena, in, in the cattle pens, a 700-pound bull, young bull, is cornered because... My nephew zigged when he should have zagged. It turned around. It came right at me, knocked me to the ground, and the glasses went flying. I got stomped. But that's raw danger. Right. That that causes a chemical brain freeze because it's people that step into a street, seeing a car, and they can't move. Mm -hmm. They freeze. They freeze. Yeah. So those are some of the things around the, the ranch. What, what do you run into? Well, I'd, actually, I've got a ranch story to, to share with you. When I was out with you, uh, we were uh, checking fence lines. And, stuff, and you, we went over and you showed me the old dam that was built mm -hmm. for, for Greenville Water back in the 30s, I right. believe. And a, a tree had fallen across the dam. And I thought, wow, that would make a great picture. And I had to climb down this, these iron uh, rails to get down to the top of the dam. And as I was climbing down, you yell, hey, Chuck, watch out for the water moccasins. And there were like three of them that were taken across. One of them went under the tree. And I'm, then the water is right at the top of the dam. So I'm at surface level with the water. And I've got, do I go back up the, you know, the stairs or, or do I, or the steps or do I, you know, walk over to the tree and get a picture taken? And my amygdala is telling me, get back up, you know, climb that railing and get back up out of there. And I'm going, but I want this picture because it's a beautiful picture. <laughs> and, um, and so I walked over and I, I stood on, the, on the, the trunk of the fallen tree. And you were up above on the bank taking a picture. And I'm watching <laughs> to see if the <laughs> surface of water breaks because they're, they're right there. And my amygdala was just screaming at me, get out of here, get out of here. And, and I actually stood, you know, quiet for at least three seconds for a picture <laughs> and then I got out of there but I mean but that's how your amygdala said hey you're not doing something smart here get out of here but I, you know it's one where you you have you know was able to override that at least long enough for a, for a really cool picture but but you're right it's those those are things with raw danger that you have to be careful of and that's exactly why before we went 
when I told you to come out to the ranch and bring extra pair of shorts. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so, so what are some of the other things? Uh, raw danger, obviously, that that triggers. Right, but if you watch some things like uh, people's actions can cause a chemical brain freeze. Something just as simple, if if you're uh, in line at, at the grocery store and it's, and it's kind of slow, and there's a couple of people behind you, you're a couple of, you know, you're one from getting up to the register, and they open up a new register, and the person behind you jumps over to that register first, and, it, you know, you're thinking, I can't believe they just did that. I mean, you can have a chemical brain freeze over people's actions just like that, or if people cut you off in traffic, you know, just simple little actions like that, you can have a chemical brain freeze. What about language? What oh. triggers that? You know, uh, sometimes just, you know, why did you do that? I mean, your amygdala is going, whether it's perceived or a real threat, it's like, why did you do that? Uh-oh, I did something wrong. Like, warning, warning, you know, be careful the next things you say because it's, you know, obviously you did something wrong. You know, why is this late? I didn't know it was late. I'm in trouble now. You know, all of, all of those things, like, Oh, well, Ron, you sure got dressed up today for this. And it's like, what did I do? <laughs> you know, and it's just, yeah. it's just. What do I look like? Junk <laughs> the rest of the time? You know, and it's, you know, it's, it's those perceived threats, but your amygdala counts them as real threats, you know, and, and it's going to act accordingly. It's going to go into a defensive mode. And that's one of the things I found after Joan and I picked up stakes and moved out here is I got really defensive about comments she made meant nothing from right like oh why did you do that i went back to default behaviors mm -hmm. of when i was being being questioned as a kid why i screwed something up or whatever and my responses were totally inappropriate for the question that came through right you know and and we can take that uh even to self-talk the way that we talk to ourselves we can give ourselves a chemical brain freeze if you get into an argument with somebody at work or even somebody at home and you take off driving down the road and, and you know, about 10 minutes later, you start to, you know, pick up all your markers and you're driving down the road and you go, well, you know what I should have said? You know what I should have done? And you start to reenact that whole <laughs> argument, what I should have done next time, what I going And you can find yourself having a chemical brain freeze all over again, just talking to yourself. You know, you've, you, you get to that point sometimes where you're, you're, you're going through this self-talk and you realize, I've been driving five miles. I have no clue what I just passed or where I've been. Uh, but you have to be careful because if you talk negatively to yourself, your amygdala is going to respond appropriately. And that's why positive self-talk is so important. Now, how does that affect our family? Oh, because if we're having s negative self-talk to ourselves, then our behavior changes. And when our behavior changes, the impact that we have on family and friends is, is evident that it's not in the most constructive manner. So it transitions into the relationships in our lives. Oh, big time, big time. And so the reason that we're going through these discussions is that when you're in a, a work situation where your day is structured pretty much, that you know what you're going to do, you know what's going to happen, you get into arguments, all of the different stresses of business, but now you are in an environment where you don't have that structure. You don't have necessarily the goals. You don't have that uh, direction that you've had in your life. 
each one of these issues amplify that we're talking about when it's just you and yourself you and a few friends where you might have had an entire social network before that those be recognizing the signs of what's happening is even more important because it'll take you out of the game for a longer period of time exactly what's what's interesting if if you watch in sports you know playing around a golf with, with some people where we had a, a, a guy who joined our group one, one Saturday and, and he was from the panhandle and he had this tournament bag and I was thinking, oh man, it's, this guy must be really good. It's, you know, we'll see how <laughs> our game goes. And you know, the first six holes, he did great. Then he missed a shot and he started talking to himself and he goes, stupid, stupid, stupid shot. Why did you do that? You know, and, um, and all of a sudden his game and by the time we got to the to the tenth hole, he was so upset. He says, "Guys, I've got to go." And he didn't even finish the the complete round. He was so upset, and that was the end of it. So, you know, it it, it definitely affects people in a big way. Well, quickly go through the three or four emotional needs that we have that we lose when we make a transition. Well, and th and this is key. I mean, you know, safety. You know, being physically safe is one. You know, being in a safe environment. Uh, you know, emotionally safe, physically safe. And I think one of the interesting ones is power. You know, that's something that we, we might lose in retirement. You know, do we have control and ability to act? Do we have a voice, a share of voice? We might lose that because no one knows who we are. You know, and then acceptance. You know, being included with a new ring of friends or new peers. You know, are we being liked? Are we being needed? And then respect. You know, we talked about, you know, airline captains who retire and, and they walk into an airport and they don't have their uniform on. No one knows who they are. You know, it's like, I, you know, are you understood? Are you treated fairly, treated with value and dignity? And then value, you know, are you appreciated? Are you feeling heard? Are you recognized? Do you get any praise, you know, for what's going on? Well, when you talked about power, a terrific example of that was I flew over to Tyler Airport. We pulled up to the gate that lets you into the restaurant, and apparently they changed the procedures where, you couldn't go from your plane to the restaurant through that gate anymore. Getting out of the plane, nature called badly. There's a little museum there with a rope around it. We went over and asked, says, hey, can we go to the restroom? He says, fine. He lifts a rope and lets us in. Well, the guy that runs the museum came out and I'm going to say and started screaming at us that he has to call the police. We violated airports. Now, this is a little bitty airport. We're not talking about DFW. And he flew off the handle. Just got, he said, I'm going to call the police. I'm gonna, I said, please call the police because I want to talk to somebody who's rational. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, when I explained to them that we went from a secure area to an unsecure area, I would like to hear you your explanation of why that was such a crisis. <laughs> right, exactly. And but he was in a position now he had lost power, and the only place that he had power in his entire life was being the director of that museum in a little bitty airport that he got out of control. Right. As we go forward, Chuck, tell me some of the diagnostic tools that people can use. Well, I, you know, I think some of the, uh, you know, just watching how people act out, watch what people are, are doing. You know, watch little kids. When you watch what little kids are doing, keep in mind, 
grown-ups are just you know kids with longer legs but they act out the same way and so when you see these people starting to have a chemical brain freeze we're going to talk a lot more in, in future shows on what you can do to keep these chemical brain freeze from happening it's not what you do after you have a chemical brain freeze that's important but it's staying in the game and keeping from having a chemical brain freeze that goes and one of the key things i think the, for you to work on for during the week is think about a story of gratitude. What are you so grateful for? And next time we're going to share with you how you can take that story of gratitude because gratitude and fear are two of the strongest emotions that you can have. And you can't hold both of those in the mind at the same time. And we'll show you how a story of gratitude will overcome fear. So work on a story of gratitude. We'll talk about that in big detail next time. You're on 21.6 and that with uh, Ron Hostry and... Chuck Inman. With the Adventures of Unstructured Time. 21.6 The Net is brought to you in part by the generous support of our sponsor, Northern Illinois Windows, Inc. We are a commercial and residential window servicing company committed to providing the highest quality service at an affordable price. Our highly trained technicians will make every aspect of your window cleaning needs worry-free. Northern Illinois Windows, Inc., 815-385-6646. Again, 815-385-6646. 216th Net is sponsored and supported in part by Natural Therapy Wellness Center. 815-385-8190. McHenryMassage.com. How often do you take time for yourself? A massage can be a great way to pamper yourself, but it can also help alleviate or sometimes even cure those ailments that you deal with regularly. Contact us today to speak to one of our certified therapists about your needs. Natural Therapy Wellness Center, 815-385-8190. Sticker Dude, the creators of Vinyl Chaos, 815-322-2480, StickerDude.com. The Sticker Dude team brings over 25 years of experience from the graphic, marketing, and sales industry. Advertising on vehicles and other services, full attention on the design, print, and installation is given to your project. From in-house full-time installers to our top-of-the-line printing and finishing room. Contact us today to learn what you need to look for and why before committing to making an investment in vehicle wraps. We're not your corner sign shop. Sticker Dude, call 815-322-2480. Experience, education, character, an inherent ability with numbers, an exceptional CPA. These are the reasons why business owners choose Eric Mason of Mobile Accounting for their bookkeeping, payroll, and tax services. Call Eric at Mobile Accounting, 224-321-6859. That's 224-321-6859. 216thNet is supported by Tech Repair. Why do customers keep coming back to XTech Repair? Because of owners committed to building relationships. No one and done attitudes. Their 60 day guarantee on all repairs and IT service subscription plans that help business customers avoid the shock of a large unexpected repair bill. XTech addresses all your IT needs in one place. Web design, web hosting, 
social media support, custom-built desktops with a two-year parts and labor warranty, and just for fun, gaming machines with repair and service support. Visit online xtech.repair. That's X-T-E-K dot R-E-P-A-I-R. Visit in person at the corner of Pingree and 176 in Crystal Lake, Illinois, or call 815-516-8075. That's 815-516-8075. X-Tech Repair for IT done right the first time.